It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Eric. The Ryan Hickey Show is back with you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for returning to the show. I apologize. Last week is a very, very busy week. Um, a lot of fill and shifts on CBS Sports Radio, which is, which is great. A lot of fun, um, which unfortunately left me a little too busy to meet with you last week. But we are back. Very, very excited to be back. A big week 14 to react to in the NFL. A lot of other college football news and notes to get into here. My goodness. Great to be back with you on the Worldwide Sports Network on this Monday morning. We appreciate also, or at least I appreciate, we, just me, do appreciate you uh, making us a part of your Monday morning. We are coming to you live, as always, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. A lot to get into 20 minutes from now. Chiefs with an, a drubbing of the Raiders. Are they back to being the team to beat in the AFC? They're the third seed. So they're not even the number one seed. Right? As we know, they're the two-time defending um, Super Bowl representative from the AFC. Can they make it a third straight appearance? Are they the team to beat for any team to get to the Super Bowl? We'll discuss that uh, in 20 minutes or so for now. But I do want to stick in the AFC. I do want to talk about a team that we thought presumably would be the Chiefs' biggest challenger in the preseason heading into this season, and that's the Buffalo Bills. They lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 33-26 or 33-27 in overtime to fall to 7-6 in the season. I thought yesterday revealed the biggest flaw of the Buffalo Bills and showed everybody where they're not Super Bowl contenders. We got to take them out of that category. The biggest flaw with Buffalo is not the fact that they are trying to, you know, put a kibosh on Bill's Mafia going through tables. That's bad, right? That is inexcusable. That is a big-time flaw. But there's even a bigger flaw for the Bills to worry about, and that's that they're reliant on one player. They are reliant only on Josh Allen. Yesterday was the perfect encapsulation of that. The run game sinks. Their defense is fraudulent. The Bills, when you watch them, truly only have one way of winning, and that's relying solely on Josh Allen. And you know what? As we enter the home stretch, as we enter the final four games of the regular season in the NFL, where teams really start to separate themselves from playoff contender or not, Super Bowl contender or not, that's not how Super Bowl contenders, let alone legitimate playoff contenders, that's not the recipe for success. You got to be a balanced team. Good offense, good defense, good coaching, you know, complimentary football. The Bills are showing you they are a one-trick pony, and that's all on Josh Allen and nothing else. Josh Allen or bust. Like we just mentioned before, Sunday was the, the latest example of that. You look in the first half of that game yesterday against the Buccaneers. Josh Allen was, what, okay? Below average at points? He wasn't spectacular. He wasn't an elite-level quarterback in the first half. He threw an interception. He wasn't very sharp. For the first time, since 1991, 
the Bills did not have a running back take a handoff in the first half. It was literally all on Josh Allen throwing the ball, running the ball. And guess what? You guess where that left the Bills at halftime? Down 24-3. Defense couldn't get a stop. They didn't even try to run the ball against the number one uh, rushing defense in the NFL. And when they did, it was only with you know on the legs of their quarterback and Josh Allen. It was all on Allen. And when he's not spectacular, when he is not all-world or elite, this Bills team can't win. 24-3 is, just shows you. If Josh Allen's not perfect, they don't have a chance. Now, I give him credit. We go to the second half. The offense started to pick it up. Josh Allen all of a sudden started to become, at least for a half, showed you flashes of what we saw in 2020 that had him in the MVP race and, and got him that big-time contract. Now, they scored 24 points on offense. All of a sudden, now the offense is starting to roll. He's passing the ball. They're finding cracks in the Buccaneers' defense. Once the offense gets going, now you see the defense all of a sudden start to pick up. They get a little life. They make a few stops on Tom Brady. And next thing you know, we have ourselves a ball game. Right, Josh Allen in the second half accounted for all three touchdowns. Two passing, one rushing. Defense, after giving up 24 points in the first half, only give up a field goal in the second half. Right, that Bucks offense, for the most part, was left in neutral. Stuck in neutral, really, for their duration in the second half. So the offense picked it up. That led to the defense playing better. And again, the offense picked it up because of Josh Allen's performance. So now we are, you know, you go from 24-3 to 27-27 going overtime. That gap, that 24, you know, point window that was that was shrunken at one point to guess overtime was all because of Josh Allen's play. So going overtime, you think, all right, the formula is the same. Bills win the toss. Josh Allen's been unstoppable. You know, that 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 Bills offense now really has some momentum going. Again, the run game is all on Josh Allen. But he's, you know, finding holes in the passing lane again. They're putting up points. But three and out on offense for Buffalo at overtime. And as we know, that's really it. Curtains. Because the defense could not be relied upon to even just get one stop. Credit to the Bills special teams. And they had a great punt. They put the ball all the way down to the Buccaneers' six-yard line. So you know Tom Brady's the ball in overtime. Any score wins the game. You have to go basically almost the length of the field in order to truly get into field goal position, you know, field goal range to hit an eventual game winning field goal. But we know that didn't even matter. Seven plays, 94 yards later, Tom Brady hits Prashad Perryman, game over. Josh Allen got a shot overtime, three and out. Bill's defense couldn't be relied upon. So even though you had Josh Allen for the game now, throw for 308 yards, pass for two touchdowns, rush for 109 yards and a touchdown, it wasn't enough. He totaled himself over 400 yards of total offense and three touchdowns, and it still wasn't enough for the Bills to win. You look now, another one-possession game for Buffalo. They're now 0-5 this season in one-possession games. That's not good. Obviously. That's not any, you know, that's not the, the record any playoff team wants. 0-5 in one-score games. You know the reason why they are one of the, or they are the worst team in close games this year? It's because we mentioned they are one-dimensional. Look at their defense. I want to get on their defense here for a second. The Buffalo defense is the most fraudulent unit in all of the NFL. The biggest frauds in the NFL. Here's why. The stats that they uh, have put up, the rankings where they are compared to their defense, everyone else's defense, they're the most deceiving stats you'll see of any team of any unit in the NFL. They entered Sunday 
And the NFL ranked first in total defense, first in pass defense, 12th in rush defense. So, again, when you look at those numbers, okay, Bill's defense should be one of the best in the NFL. Tom Brady should have, you know, himself a really tough day putting up points. Leonard Fournette should have nowhere to run. This should be a, a game that really comes down to defense versus defense, right? Because we know uh, Tampa is a great run defense. And the Bills, according to the stats, have a great all-around defense. But guess what? Guess what we saw yesterday? Tom Brady put up, and the Buccaneers offense put up 33 points. We saw that Buccaneers offense put, you know, go up and down the field. The reason? It's not because the Bills had a bad day. It's because the stats that Buffalo's defense has put up are not as dominant as they suggest. You look at who the Buffalo, you know, the Bills have played this year. A lot of the stats, and a lot of really the stat padding, frankly, has come against bad teams. They've played the Jets. They've played the Dolphins twice. The Steelers. The Texans. The Washington football team. These are all bad offenses. Even the Saints a few weeks ago with Trevor Simeon at quarterback. These offenses stink. So sure, you can fatten up your stats. You can make the numbers look good when you're playing some of the most inept offense like we just laid out for you in the NFL. You can feast on the week. But when it comes to playing competent to good offenses, the Bills' defense shrinks. They go missing. Put them on a milk carton. You can't find them. Yesterday was just the latest example of it, but it's been happening all season long. Tennessee Titans. They played on Monday night, uh, I don't know, about a month ago, six weeks ago, before Derrick Henry got hurt. They put up 34 points. That Tennessee offense had no problem running through the Bills' defense. Jonathan Taylor, 205 total yards, five touchdowns in Buffalo a few weeks ago in the Colts' blowout win over the Bills. Number one rush defense, they allowed 185 yards on the ground. They allowed four rushing touchdowns. They were shredded. How about the Patriots? The Patriots last week told you what they were running, and the Bills couldn't stop it. They ran 49 plays on offense, New England did, 46 runs. You're telling me the Bills defense didn't know what was coming? Everyone knew what was coming. It was either run left, run middle, run right. That was all. You didn't know what direction, but you knew the, the Patriots were going to run the ball. You would think, okay, the defense should be able to stop when they know what's coming, and the Patriots ran for 220 Two yards. 222. When the Bills knew what was coming. And then yesterday, Tom Brady, 363 passing yards in the air. Leonard Fournette, 113 yards on the ground. They both had their ways with this Buffalo defense. So again, you tell me. How good really is this defense? It's not. They're a bunch of frauds. They fattened up. They padded their stats against the weak. And now when they play competent playoff level uh, and elite level offenses, they fold like a cheap suit. I mean, you even look in yesterday, they couldn't even keep the Bills in this game early. Now, the second half, they, they did turn it around, but it's 24-3 to half. They allowed four consecutive scoring drives. You can't win that way. You can't win most games by getting up 24 points in the first half. Good luck trying to win playoff games like that. When it's 24-3 at half. And the big time moment when they uh, had to be relied on to get one stop in overtime, they allowed Tom Brady and Co. to go 94 yards to end the game. 
They got burned by wide receiver Brashad Perryman that wasn't targeted once all game. Came off the bench cold. Tom Brady didn't even look his way. Probably didn't even know who the hell he was. All of a sudden, the biggest play of the game, that's who burns the Buffalo defense. That's who ends the game. That's a unit that, again, I'm telling you, is not as good as the numbers suggest. They can come in number one in total defense. They cannot be relied upon come postseason time. They are frauds. So the defense you can't rely upon. The run game, totally non-existent. I get the Buccaneers have the top run defense in all of, of the NFL. But again, this is a Buffalo rushing attack that gives you nothing to fear. They give you no reason to be shaking your boots or even try to defend the run. Like I mentioned, Josh Allen was a leading rusher for the Bills, 109 yards. He had himself a day. The two running backs, Devin Singletary and Matt Breida, combined for 64 yards on the ground. They were, well, not that, you know, the yards per carry is nice, but there was so little faith in these running backs having success. They only handed the ball off to running back seven times. Seven times. They didn't even bother trying to run the ball. Even though, again, seven carries on 64 yards, or 64 yards, I should say, and seven carries is a really solid ratio. They were either down early or didn't trust him, and they barely gave him the ball. But it's been like that all season long. Josh Allen's been really the only big-time threat in the running game. This is now the fifth game out of 13. Just obviously a little bit short of half where Josh Allen has led the Bills in rushing. The quarterback. And again, this is not the Ravens offense where Lamar Jackson's legs are utilized as a big part of it. This is where, yeah, Josh Allen makes a few plays, but and there are a few designed runs. But it's not exactly like the, the focal point of the offense is getting Josh Allen in space and having make plays with his legs. It's still a throw-first offense for Buffalo. It's still an offense. When they are their most efficient, their most effective, it's through the air with Josh Allen's rocket of a uh, rocket of an arm. But yeah, this is a fifth game out of 13 where he led them in rushing to show you how futile that Bills uh, rushing attack is. So I thought Sunday was the perfect encapsulation of the Bills season. What's wrong with them? They're not Super Bowl contenders. They're barely right now holding on to a playoff spot because they are reliant on only one player, their quarterback and Josh Allen. To be a playoff team, to be a Super Bowl team, you need to have balance. You need to have a defense you can rely upon. You need to have a running game that takes some pressure out the passing game. The Bills have neither. Defense can't make a stop. The run game can't even get any traction. It is all on Josh Allen. And when all your eggs are in one basket come playoff time, again, we saw in the first half, if Josh Allen is not elite, if Josh Allen is not this um, top five level quarterback, the Bills don't have a chance. They cannot win in any other way. It is only on Josh Allen. And you know what? When you look at the playoffs, do you really trust Josh Allen to play at an elite level three straight games? Absolutely not. I do not. I have no faith in him. And that's partly not even on him. It's also because of the fact that there's no other area to give other teams concern or something to worry about. So now teams in the playoffs can only have to game plan for basically one player, Josh Allen. So that's the quickest reason they have gone from preseason Super Bowl, I don't say favorite, but you know a popular pick to dethrone the Chiefs was the Buffalo Bills. The reason they've gone from that point, you know, in August to where we are here in December, having them barely hang on the playoffs, is because they have given Josh Allen no hope. They are so one-dimensional that they can't win in any other way. And that's not sustainable for me, and that's why the Bills are in big 
time trouble. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Bills are currently in seventh place in the AFC, seven and six on the season. Are they going to make the playoffs? Are they a playoff team? And I'll ask a question here that I don't believe, but I'm curious your thoughts. Maybe you are higher in them than I am. Are the Bills a Super Bowl contender? I think the Bills will make the playoffs. If they do squeak in the playoffs, are they a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Should they be a team that Patriots, the Chiefs, the Ravens are actually concerned about come playoff time? Love to hear your thoughts, whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports or Network, Twitter, you can tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show, or tweet us at WWSRN underscore radio. Get your tweets, get your thoughts on the future of the Buffalo Bills. How big of a contender are they, or the they a big-time pretender? Speaking of contender, pretender in the AFC. One team I thought made a huge, huge statement yesterday. Are they the team to beat in the AFC? We'll discuss that when we do return here. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Run And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We'll get your Bills thoughts here in a second. And the Bills' legitimate playoff threats here. Can they be Super Bowl contenders, or are they too reliant on Josh Allen to be anything just but barely a playoff team in the AFC? Let's get your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter as well. Let's stick in the AFC. Let's stick with... Super Bowl talk, playoff talk here. Coming out of yesterday, coming off the drubbing that the Chiefs gave the Raiders on Sunday in Arrowhead, I'll say this. Kansas City Chiefs, only team I trust in the AFC. They're the only team I trust, really the only team I believe in out of the AFC heading towards the postseason. Even though they're currently right now the three seed, even though, as we know, the offense has had well-documented struggles for, I don't know, about, what, three quarters of the year, roughly? Right? It's been a slog for most of the year for Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid and co. This is still, even though they're a three-seed right now, I think still the team to beat in the AFC. I think Sunday showed you two reasons why. Number one, the offense can absolutely still light it up. And number two, how about this? The defense can be relied upon. Let's start with that second point first. Because even now, right, you're, we're coming off a game yesterday in which the Chiefs won 48-9. Coming off a game which, again, the, the Chiefs were two points, you know, a safety short of putting a 50-burger on Las Vegas. I thought the story of the game was the defense. Story of yesterday's game coming out of, the, out of Arrowhead was absolutely the dominance of the defense. They held a high-flying Raiders offense with just nine points uh, for the game, and they forced a ton of turnovers. Picked Derek Carr off one time, forced four other fumbles. Now, some of that you could say, look, that's just one good game. My house is sustainable is forcing five turnovers and you know getting a scoop and score on the first play of the game from scrimmage, you get a seven-nothing lead right away. Okay, like you know, the, the Raiders are literally playing from behind from the first play of the game. Boy, that said though, don't look now. That Chiefs defense truly has turned a corner, and now it's not 
an anomaly. Now it's not a two or three game sample. We're like, oh, okay, the Chiefs defense is playing better, but look at the competition. Or, oh, it's just in a small sample size. The Chiefs defense has legitimately improved to the point where they have, you can make the argument, carried this Chiefs team more than not this season. And the six-game winning streak outside of the two Raiders games, the defense has been the story. They're swarming the football more. They're getting after the quarterback. They had four sacks on Derek Carr yesterday alone. So after what was, I mean, and historically, right, bad first half of the season, where their numbers were trending towards some of the worst defense played in, in all the NFL, you know, in history, right? They were horrendous. In the first half of the year. That led to what? Patrick Holmes pressing. Right? He admitted earlier this year, was it either heading into the Titans game or coming out of the Titans game, lost 27-3, that he was trying too, you know, too hard to do too much. Because in part, because he felt the defense, you know, he didn't say it, but kind of felt like, you know, the defense isn't going to get a stop, so we got to score here no matter what. Because if we don't, I know the next time I get on the field, the deficit's going to be greater than what it is right now. The defense cannot be trusted to stop a nosebleed. That led to the offense trying to do too much. That led to Patrick Holmes forcing throws he shouldn't have been forcing, throws interceptions, fumbles, sacks. We know, you know it was kind of just one big spiral effect for the Chiefs, and that kind of led to their horrendous play. But the last six weeks, this defense has been the catalyst to a turnaround, and it's the reason why, again, I'm believing in the Chiefs as the team still to beat in the AFC. They look now during the six-game winning streak that they're on. In all six games, their opponents have been held to under 20 points in each and every single game. The Giants, of course. The Giants in this stretch were the team that scored the most points. It was 17. The last, uh, the last three games, each opponent has been held to nine points. Two of those you know, have solid offenses. The Raiders, we saw yesterday, and the Cowboys a few weeks ago. I don't care that Mark Cooper was in the lineup. That's still a high-flying Chief, uh, Cowboys offense. And the Chiefs even held them to just nine points. That's a really efficient, a really solid job by Kansas City. But now there's some tangible, though, outcomes we could point to and say, oh, yeah, they're turning it around. Right? The pass rush for the Chiefs has, has increased. They finally figured out what to do with Chris Jones. They had him on the outside for, to start the year. Now they're putting him back inside a little bit more often. He's, you know, wreaking havoc. Guys are getting after the quarterback. Now, during the six-game winning streak that Kansas City has, they have registered 16 sacks in that stretch. They're getting more pressure on the quarterback. They're forcing chaos up the middle. They're forcing bad decisions. That's leading to bigger plays. That's leading to their third down defense getting off the field. They've been tremendous on third down. So now they're, you know, they're, they're forcing defenses or offenses to get off the field. They're putting their offense on the field more often, taking the strain, taking the pressure off of Patrick Holmes and the offense. Chiefs have done a, a tremendous job. So you look at the Chiefs offense in the first, uh, Chiefs defense in the first half of the year, they were an absolute liability. They were the reason you can make the argument of even the offense playing as poor as they were. You could put a lot of the blame on the defense. So they've gone from a liability to now, they'd be, you know, been a consistency, consistently good. You can actually rely on this defense, whether it's a pass rush, whether it's stopping the run, whether it's secondary. They're doing a really solid job. You can believe in this Chiefs defense. So that's, for me, one of the reasons why I'm picking the Chiefs is still the team to be in the AFC. Their defense has turned it around. They made a complete 180. And now for the first time, really, in 
we'll say three years, right, of the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid era. And really, we'll go four years. Go back to 2018 when Mahomes first, you know, made his debut and they went to the AFC title game. You can truly rely on this defense to get stops and win games. I couldn't say that in 2018. They, they had that, you know, they were in that big hole um, against the Patriots at halftime. Eventually did come back. But even, you know, 2019, it was just, can you make one stop for how well the offense was playing? Same thing last year. Now this year, they are winning you games with the offense not being what we've seen the last three years. You can actually rely on them. And the other reason why, this offense showed you yesterday, oh yeah, by the way, this Chiefs offense, still really good. Still can put up a ton of points, and they can really get on you in a hurry. And they scored 48 points yesterday. I watched every single possession for the Chiefs offense. It was easy. It wasn't one of those laboring 48 points where they got a lot of, you know, Big plays that kind of bailed them out of ugly offense. They were efficient. They were moving the ball. They took, you know, they, they capitalized on turnovers. It wasn't just like the defense is getting turnovers. Now also the Chiefs offense is putting them, uh, putting those turnovers in the end zone. Making the Raiders or whatever team they're playing pay for turning it over. And that's the scary part for the rest of the AFC is just kind of getting a reminder that, oh, yeah. This Chiefs offense is still the Chiefs offense that we saw last year, two years ago, three years ago, where Patrick Holmes was the MVP of the league, where Travis Kelsey was still, you know, the most unguardable tight end in the NFL, where Tyree Kill has teams, you know, waking up with nightmares about him running deep and him kind of tearing up defenses. Andy Reid, still a smart guy, right? I know it's easy to kind of make jokes on Andy Reid with how the offense has played earlier this year. They were, you know, in a rut. They were really kind of struggling and banging their head against the wall because they couldn't figure out how to unlock the offense. They couldn't figure out how to basically get around and prevent defense. But now you are starting to see the Chiefs offense figure it out. But the, there's no injuries to worry about. So it's not like they are trying, like the Titans, trying to make up uh, an offense for their biggest player not being there. Andy Reid, the play caller, and the, the offensive genius is still there, along with Eric Bieniemy. Patrick Holmes, the best quarterback in the NFL, still there, still healthy. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, still healthy, still there. Like All the weapons that have terrorized defenses for years are still there. So even though that they have struggled for a large part of the year, I think yesterday was a reminder quickly that, oh yeah, this offense is still really good. This offense can outscore any defense they play this season. Yeah, they have struggled. Yeah. You know, they have looked out of whack and out of sync, to uh, out of sync at times. But are you really going to trust going to the playoffs, any other offense, going up against this one? I'm not. I'm absolutely not. And now you're starting to see it for the second time, really, in the last few weeks in this winning streak. You're starting to see the Chiefs figure it out. And you know how they unlock this offense? You know how they get better looks for Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill? By spreading out the wealth. By getting every single player on offense involved. Not just targeting one or two guys. Targeting Byron Pringle and Michael Hardman. Targeting the running backs out of the backfield. Yesterday, you had eight different Chiefs players catch a pass from Patrick Mahomes. Eight! Running backs, tight ends, receivers, backup receivers. Everyone was getting in the mix. So now you have... Legitimately, eight guys that can burn a defense. They can take a screen pass like Darrell Williams in and take it 30 yards to the house. 
That is now, and you see the, the true danger of the Chiefs is when they are spreading the wealth to everyone, defense now have to worry about so many different players. That opens up looks for Tyreek Hill. That gets Travis Kelsey more one-on-one opportunities compared to earlier in the year. Patrick Holmes was basically only locking on Travis Kelsey, only locking on Tyreek Hill, forcing it into double and triple coverage. That's where the picks came. That's where the sacks came because he's holding on to the ball too long. We saw in the first Raiders game a few weeks ago. Darren Williams was the leading receiver for the Chiefs. He had 100 yards uh, receiving, I believe it was nine receptions. You want to take away the deep throw with Tyreek Hill? Okay, we'll burn you underneath for a while. And then when we're burning you underneath, guess what? That's when the deep pass opens up. That's when you loosen up the defense to take a big shot deep and the Chiefs capitalize. This Chiefs offense reminded you yesterday, reminded everyone yesterday of how explosive they still are. Don't sleep on them. When this offense is clicking, there's no one that can keep up. There's no one. So even though this Chiefs team has struggled for most of the year, they have not, outside of, I mean, honestly, what, the two games against the Raiders and maybe the Browns game, you want to say, they have not looked like the Chiefs team we have seen in 2018, 2019, or 2020. Their talent is still overwhelming, and they're playing great complementary football. The defense can be relied upon, and the offense is capitalizing on turnovers and capitalizing on opportunities. So look at the rest of the NF, uh, the AFC. Who are you trusting more than the Chiefs? Are you trusting the Patriots more? They've been playing tremendous football. They've had you know they've been playing great defense. The run game has been effective. I will still take though the Chiefs and their playoff experience over a rookie quarterback Mac Jones. No offense to him, he's done everything that's been asked of him so far. But now in the postseason, when big moments arise, can your quarterback make big throws? I will take Patrick Mahomes over Mac Jones. Titans, as we know, their offense is all in on Derrick Henry. Even though there are reports that, okay, Derrick Henry is, you know, on the trajectory to return maybe by the postseason and maybe even play in a game or two before the postseason, I still hold my breath. I'm still skeptical. All that missed time, can Derrick Henry basically jump right back into the deep end and carry the team like he did earlier this year right away? I have my reservations about that. The Ravens? They're basically Lamar Jackson about. So we're talking about the Bills earlier in the show, where the Bills are so reliant on Josh Allen, his arm and his legs, that they can't win a game with their defense. They can't, you know, establish a run at all outside of Josh Allen. It is all on their quarterback to win or lose the game. The Ravens are the same way. Now they almost beat the Browns. We'll get to that game a little bit with Tyler Huntley. But because of the injuries to the O-line, because of the injuries to the running backs, and even the secondary. Now, you, when you have a dynamic player like Lamar, who is just as dangerous with his arm as with his legs, the Ravens have really bought into that where, again, if it's Lamar's playing well, they win. If he's anything but spectacular, they lose. I don't like that there's all this pressure. It's all or nothing on Lamar Jackson. I think that's too inconsistent. It's not a winning uh, strategy when it comes to the uh, postseason. Chargers are too damn inconsistent. Kind of similar to the Ravens, kind of similar to the Bills. A lot's on Justin Herbert. When he's playing well, they win. When he's not, they, they lose. Their defense, you know, their run uh, defense is awful. They barely run the ball. They're, they came into Sunday uh, attempting the fourth fewest rushing attempts. So we get another team over a line on their quarterback. And same with the Bills. So I'll take the Chiefs over the Bills, Chargers, Ravens, Titans, Patriots. Who are you trusting in that situation? I'm taking the Chiefs. There's no team I trust more than Kansas City. So I'm curious your thoughts. Is Kansas City still the team to beat in your mind? 
are the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl for the third consecutive season? Which team do you trust more than Kansas City in the AFC? I'd love to hear your thoughts worldwide sports network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Tweet us your thoughts. Again, at Ryan Hickey Show. Go to Twitter. That is where the live stream of the show is broadcasted. Comment right there in the comment section. We'll read your comments on the air. Same thing with Facebook, Worldwide Sports and Eric. Boom. Like the page. Scroll down. There's a live video. Shoot us a comment in the comment section. Which team do you trust the most in the AFC? We'll get your thoughts and we do return. It's a Monday staple like we do every single week in the NFL season. Quick hits. Few different storylines to talk about, including the team I thought got the most impressive win in Week 14. We'll discuss that when we do return to listen to Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. We're also the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 20 minutes from now, Browns win over the Ravens. Cowboys win over the Washington football team. You more encouraged coming out of that game or concerned? Tell you that in 20 minutes or so from now. But as you do every single Monday, time to uh, time to bounce around the NFL. A little quick hits action. Hit up a few of the games you haven't talked about so far. How about the 49ers? San Francisco 49ers, in beating the Bengals in overtime yesterday, I thought got the most impressive win on Sunday. 26-23. The reason why it's so impressive is because, honestly, this felt like a game there was no way the 49ers were going to win. But since he had home, coming off of the, um, I guess we'll call it a blowout. That left about 19 points, although it felt closer than that. We'll call it a blowout loss to the Chargers last week at home. They have a you know, West Coast team coming east. Always tough, you know, tough on the on the body clock for that. But I thought really, honestly, Cincinnati would bounce back. They're a well-balanced team, offensively, defensively. Even over three quarters, they got off to a very slow start. It was 26 in the fourth quarter for San Francisco. That fourth quarter really turned the game. That since he was, was battling back, they scored two late touchdowns in the fourth quarter to get it to overtime. Missed field goal by Robbie Gold to send the game to overtime. Uh, for San Fran when they had a chance to win it. I thought that was it. They had their chance. They marched on the field. Jimmy G made a few nice throws. One to George Kittle. Really put them in field goal range. And when you blow a chance there, kind of get the momentum back, I thought that was too much. I thought Cincy would complete the comeback. They do, they do excuse me, get a field goal in overtime. Go 23-20. Uh, and credit to Jimmy Garoppolo. He was on fire the final drive. Right, for all the flack Jimmy G gets, for all of the discussion about his future as a game manager is not great, he, at least in overtime, and for most of the game, outdueled Joe Burrow. That's impressive. Big time passes to George Kittle, Juwan Jennings, Brandon Ayuk. He threw the game winner to Ayuk where he had a beautiful toe tap on the sideline. Gets right in there somehow, defies gravity and the laws of physics to stay in bounds. But Jimmy G, credit to him. He played tremendous down the stretch. 
This is a game where the run game, as we know, right? The, the 49ers are predicated on the run. They want to establish the run. That's really what gets the offense going. You see the games they struggle to run the ball. They don't really win. They had 100 yards on the ground, which is okay. You know, it's good for most teams, but for 49er standards, not great. Not too impressive. But Jimmy G was able to lead the 49ers. And again, wrestle the game away when it felt like in Cincinnati, all the momentum has gone to the Bengals. The entire, you know, momentum, the entire um, game felt like it turned on its head midway through the fourth quarter. Credit to Jimmy G for grabbing it back, for wrangling it back, and getting a game. Even though they were dominating for three, three and a half quarters, grabbing a game back that arguably 49ers should have lost and since he should have won. I thought that was the most impressive victory of the season for the 49ers handled adversity, bounced back, looked looked right into a loss's uh, eye, knocked on a loss's door, and said, ah, we're going to turn around and still grab the win, and they did. Speaking of grabbing, Tom Brady didn't grab the MVP yesterday. Now it's officially locked up. I was, a, for a while, a big proponent of Jonathan Taylor. As you know, it's still a quarterback award. And assuming Tom Brady doesn't fall if Clifford gets hurt, I don't see how he doesn't win the MVP. Feels inevitable it's going to be the fourth award for the GOAT. Which, by the way, at age 44, he'd become the oldest player ever in any sport. Basketball, hockey, baseball, football. He'd become the oldest player to ever win the MVP, surpassing his own record when he won the MVP at 40 back in 2017. Unbelievable. That's what, he, that's what he's been having this season. That's what he did even yesterday against the Bills. 363 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, three total touchdowns, zero turnovers. So now when you look at what he's done so far this season, he's thrown for already 4,134 yards, first in the NFL. Now it's big time too because you look at, especially with the extra game, I know it's 17 compared to 16, but it's still going to count for his career high. If he averages 275 passing yards per game in the last four games of the year, he will surpass and set a new career high for passing yards in a season. 5,235 is Tom Brady's career high back in 2011, I believe. 275 yards on the stretcher. He will surpass that and have a new record at age 44. Set a new career high for himself. Unbelievable. But it's not just there. He's not just leading the NFL in passing yards. He's also leading the NFL in passing touchdowns. 36 passing touchdowns. His career high is 50. So he's going to have to work a little bit harder to get there. He's going to have to, you know, really kind of step it up and, you know, average at least three passing touchdowns a, uh, a game. Maybe a little bit more. But he is looking just as dominant this season as he did all the way back in 07. Remember that 19 and, and 1 Patriots team or 18 and 1 Patriots team? Where they just absolutely lit the world on fire offensively. Randy Moss, Wes Welker, they could not be stopped at two, you know. The offense was unstoppable. That's how the Bucks feel. And that's even with a few bad games, let's say, against the Saints in New Orleans when Trevor Seaman came off the bench and won. And the Washington football team a few uh, a week or two later, where Taylor Heineke helped engineer a 10-minute drive to salt away the game in which the Washington football team beat the Bucs. This offense has been unbelievable, led by a 44-year-old man. 
I don't know how it's possible. He is like fine wine, continues to get better with age. He's on pace. Again, barring injury, I don't see him fall off the cliff. So we're just going to say barring injury. Brady will be your 2021 MVP at 44. And set a new NFL record for the oldest, or set a, a sports record, I should say, for oldest MVP. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable. I want to focus on the NFC playoff stretch here because now, final week of the season, right? Every team now has played 13 games. No more bye weeks. Everyone now is on the same schedule moving forward here the final four weeks of the season. I think right now there is one lock in the NFC. Right? If you look at the NFC, and obviously as we know, there's the, the divide, right? The five teams at the top and everyone else at the bottom. You have the Cardinals, you have the Rams, you have the Buccaneers, you have the Packers and the Cowboys. Those five teams are locked like the playoffs, right? There's really only five teams that have a prayer at making the Super Bowl. And even some in that group have, you know, smaller odds than most than others. But when you look at the battle for the six and the seven seed in the NFC, it's highly contested. But I think now yesterday's win by the 49ers locks them into the playoffs. They're a lock. San Francisco is getting into the playoffs, and they are most likely going to be the sixth seed in doing so. They're seven and six, the only team outside of the top five, above 500 in the NFC. And their schedule going forward is very manageable. They play the Falcons, they play the Texans, they play the Titans, and the Rams. Should be a guaranteed win against the Falcons, guaranteed win against the Texans. I would say they, they should beat the Titans. They're a better team right now than the Titans. And the Rams, okay, fine. Even if you lose that game. Because you think there's probably still something to play for there for LA. You go three and four, three and one down the stretch. You're looking at 10 and seven, you're in. Hell, eight and nine could be good enough to get a team in the playoffs in that seven seed. So you go 10 and seven, a lock. Absolute lock. And you also look too, now that you know the other teams they're competing with, the 49ers are by far the most talented team out of that group. They're more talented than the Vikings. The Eagles, the Falcons, the Saints, the football team. All teams that they are battling with for that, you know, those last two playoff spots, the 49ers have the most talent. Whether it's Brandon Ayuk, whether it's George Kittle, whether it is Debo Samuel, uh, Nick Bosa, defensive. Like, they are loaded, talent-wise, with names, both sides of the ball, more than any other team in, in the playoff race outside of the top five of the NFC can have. So I think that's where also the talent does, you know, make a difference as well. The so 49ers are locks. Behind them, though, right now, with a month to go as we enter the home stretch, my other prediction for the final playoff spot would be the Washington football team. I'm a believer. I know they lost yesterday. They're 6-7, and seven, and currently right now are holding on to the 7th and final wild card spot. I think the football team's a team to beat. I think that's the one that's going to wrangle that final playoff spot. Because you look at who else they're, they're going against. Now, there's five teams right now that are 6-7 and seven in the NFC that are all battling for that final playoff berth. I will trust Washington the most because I like their defense. Their defense has turned around, ironically, since Chase Young got hurt, which makes no sense, but at the same time, you know, it's the Washington football team, so sure, I guess it makes sense. Since their best player in defense went out, the defense has been playing better. They've been playing inspired. They've been doing a lot better. Offensively, Tony Gibson's a stud. Terry McLaurin, as we know, is a, is a great receiver. Curtis Samuels returns to the lineup. And I do like Taylor Heineke. He is Ryan Fitzpatrick light, which is a dangerous game to play, right? Because as we know, it's, that means the highs are high, but also the lows are low. 
We've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick really blow up in some big spots to get his team to the playoffs. But Taylor Heineke, to me, is just a guy. He's, he's a player. He's a playmaker. I know he got hurt yesterday, and Kyle Allen stepped in and played well. Played pretty decent. One of Taylor, Heine uh, Taylor Heineke's probably worst games this season came before he got hurt. But I'm still believe that he can bounce back, still play well enough down the stretcher, down the final four games when he's going against the Eagles, when he's going against the Giants and the Cowboys. All NFC East Division opponents, he will play at a level high enough to lead the team to victory. So when you look at who they're going against, three of the Vikings can't be trusted. Kirk Cousins, Mike Zimmer, I think two, you know, two guys that I really can't sit here and I say I feel good about. Even though they beat the Steelers on Thursday night, you're up 29-0 and sweating it out, needing to play in the end zone to you know, end the game. I can't say I feel great about the Vikings. I do not trust them at all. The Eagles, I just don't think are good enough. Jalen Hurts is a quarterback that has you know, played well at times. I'm not trusting Jalen Hurts, to, especially throwing the ball, to win some big games down the stretch. Falcons have not beaten anyone good. And the Saints have Taysom Mill quarterback. I mean, do I have to say any more? Taysom Mill stinks. Now, especially dealing with a finger injury on his throwing hand. So this is where he beat the, the Jets yesterday, but who's not beating the Jets? So the Saints, the Falcons, the Eagles, the Vikings are the other four teams contending with the football team for that seventh and final wild card spot. I think the football team has the advantage. I think they do get the job done, and they are the ones taking home or, I guess, going to the playoffs for the second consecutive year. How about just absolutely getting owned? That's what Aaron Rodgers does to the Bears. And I couldn't imagine how demoralizing it is to hear a quarterback and Aaron Rodgers in your home building a few months ago scream out to the fans, I own you! I own you! After another big-time performance, then gets asked about it this week as the rematch happens in Lambeau Field, saying, yeah, I don't regret it. I said what I said. And then goes out and torches your team again. Like, you just talk about a helpless, helpless feeling. Man, Nagy, anyone in that defense must be having nightmares anytime the word Aaron Rodgers brought up. Because, my God, does he have his way with Chicago? He knows it. Everyone knows it. Just six incompletions yesterday was, insane, was insanely efficient. 341 passing yards, four touchdowns, 45 points. The Packers offense dropped on Chicago. And that's after, by the way, a very slow start. But you had the Packers shut out in the first quarter. Chicago's up 10 nothing. They had the momentum. And even when the Bears battled back, take a 14 or 13 to 10 lead, you had Chicago coming back, taking another 10-point lead. Justin Fields his credit. Bounced back. He had a punt return by Jakeem Grant. Also, next thing you know, the Bears take another lead. And then, as we know, Aaron Rodgers did what he did. Absolute ownership of Chicago. Credit to the uh, Packers defense force and three turnovers. One pick six by Rasul Douglas again. This guy's a machine when it comes to making big plays, whether it's in Arizona. You know, getting a pick to end the game there at that miscommunication with A.J. Green in the end zone. Whether it's picking off Matt Stafford, taking the other way for six, or now picking up Justin Fields and taking the other way for six. He has been a tremendous addition by the Packers, credit to Brian Gutekunst, credit to that Packers front office for, for finding Rasul Douglas on the Cardinals practice squad this year and making him into a, not only a key contributor, playmaker. Absolute playmaker. And to finish off the dominant 
point that we were talking about with um, with Aaron Rodgers. He is so dominant against the not only the, the Bears, but the NFC North. Ready for this? He has now thrown 34 consecutive touchdown passes without an interception against NFC North opponents. Vikings, Lions, Bears. 34 touchdowns, no interceptions in that stretch. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. His ball security is on point. He is just, just making mincemeat of NFC uh, of any NFC North rival. I'll tell you this. Packers fans, I'm sure, desperate hold on to Aaron Rodgers. Bears fans, I bet you are praying he goes anywhere. Lions fans and Vikings fans, same thing. They are praying to the football gods that Aaron Rodgers gets traded any, literally anywhere outside of the division to open it up for the first time in a long time. He has dominated every single rival he's played against. He has owned, forget the Bears, the NFC North. I do want to finish at least this quick hits edition by, you know, talking about the, the Broncos and, and their honoring of Demarius Thomas. It's obviously heartbreaking and just still beyond shocking. That the talented and tremendous receiver for the for the Broncos was lost way too early. At just aged 33 early this week. Awfully, awfully, awfully sad. But at least for me, I always do try to look at the positives that come in disasters and tragedies like this. And the positive things I want to take out of this is that all the stories you hear from former coaches, former teammates, even just you know, former Broncos fans that were lucky enough to have encounters with Demarius Thomas uh, in his time in Denver and even, you know, with other fans when he played, whether it's for the Texans, whether it's for the Jets, Patriots. You hear more about the, the person than you do the player, which shows you just the tremendous impact that Demarius Thomas had off the field because he was a tremendous player, obviously, on the field. But he was a, a, a their number one receiver for a large part of his career in Denver. He let him, you know, helped lead him to a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. He was one of the best receivers from, what's that, a five or six-year stretch in Denver from like 2012 to 2017. He was one of the best. But all you hear about is the tremendous smile that he had off the field, how he was always caring about everyone, putting everyone else first before him. Now, he was treating other players' kids like they were his own. You hear about the caring heart and the kindness that Demarius Thomas showed to teammates, to people who didn't know, to coaches, to, to fans, to strangers. That's always, you know, at least what I want to highlight is just kind of showing what a great person he is. Because, again, it's easy to look at these players uh, as just football players, right? Oh, they scored a touchdown. They must be great. We don't really care, to be honest, right, what they do off the field. Because we have seen some horrible acts happen off the field, and then we still root for players on Sunday. We have seen great works of charity happen off the field, and we still boo a player on Sunday if they drop a pass or throw a pick. So it's rare that you hear about so many off-the-field positives and just the person that he was. But that was at least my biggest takeaway when it comes to, you know, you seeing all now the stories come out about Demarius Thomas, and it's awful that has to happen on these circumstances. But it also just goes to show you that being a good person is still first and foremost. That still, you know, trumps anything you do on the field. And that just kind of rang true with, Seeing this week all the memorials, all the eulogies, and all the you know the stories on social media um, for former players and coaches, and anyone who's had an interaction 
with Demarius Thomas has always been about the person first, not the player. And that was a, a tremendous honor by the Broncos coming out the first play in offense with only 10 players on the field. Great honor. And I thought it was, unfortunately, obviously extremely sad that we even have to be mourning a player of his uh, age at just age 33, unfortunately passing away. And then it speaks to larger volumes of just about the, the person that he was over the player. So we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. We will talk about two teams in the, uh, in the Browns and the Cowboys. Were you encouraged by their wins or mm, should there be some concern? We'll discuss that when we do return. It's Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. As always, the 10 o'clock hour is sponsored by LC Designs. Make sure to check out her website, lcdesignsnyc.com, because guess what? Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are fed happily. Also, aesthetically pleased by, you know, their charcuterie boards that are in front of them. So check out lcdesigns.com or LC, lcdesignsnyc.com. Excuse me. lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. Really butchered that. My apologies, Lauren. I do want to hit on two... Winners from week uh, week thirteen and discuss how are you feeling? Where's the confidence level? Because uh, I don't know. Or week fourteen, I should say. Both the Cowboys and the Browns won on Sunday, but I'll be honest, I don't really feel good about either. I don't feel good about the Cowboys coming to this game, and I don't feel good about the Browns coming out of this game. Let's start with with Dallas. Yes, first and foremost, the most important part of the win for Dallas on Sunday was that they finally were able to back up Mike McCarthy's big guarantee. He said earlier in the week, we're going to win this game, lock it up, I guarantee it. Just like Joe Namath guaranteeing the Super Bowl uh, win over the Colts. You had Mike McCarthy doing his best guarantee that the Cowboys are going to win this game. So yes, the guarantee uh, worked, uh, I guess. Should we say it worked? I don't really, you know... Technically, it did win. Uh, it did work. But also, too, when you look at this game, they're up 24 to nothing in the first half. Almost blew the game. Almost gave it away to not only, forget Taylor Heineken, almost gave it away to Kyle Allen and the football team. But even before that, even though they did hold on and win the game, you barely beat Washington's football team. It's not really a game that, you know, a team with Super Bowl aspirations, which the Cowboys have, and a Super Bowl will say talented roster, that's not a, a, a really a win that should get you fired up. I mean, honestly. Like, yeah, this team is truly dead set and truly their intentions are to win this Super Bowl this year. A win over the Washington football team, the matter that they did yesterday, shouldn't really get you feeling too confident that they are that much closer. They're on the right track to hosting Lombardi Trophy. And yesterday was a tale of two halves. First half was all Dallas. Give them credit. They, they came out of the gate firing. That guarantee will say lit a fire under their butts. They were all over Taylor Heineke on the defensive end. They were capitalizing on the offensive end 24 to nothing again. Halftime score. 
Yeah, the offense sustaining drives. Were they able to put in the end zone a ton? No, or only get one touchdown in the first half on the offensive side of the ball. But they, they were moving the ball up and down the field for most of the game. Again, the defense, Michael Parsons, easily defensive rookie of the year. One of the best defensive players in all the NFL is just a rookie. By the way, a guy who sat out last year. So he was great at Penn State. Obviously, he's Penn Stater. But he also didn't play last year. So it's still some rust he's trying to work back, trying to get back into true game shape. And he's getting after the quarterback. He has, I think, 12 sacks now in the season. As a guy who was supposed to be more like a, a linebacker, was, you know, because injuries put as a defensive end and is getting after the quarterback. He's doing a tremendous job. He has been all world this year. In the first half, he got after Taylor Heineke, drilled him hard, strip sack that fumble that he caused, was eventually returned for a touchdown. He did a great job. That defense did a great job. But like we said, it was a tale of two halves because the first half, all Cowboys. Second half, you had Dallas barely holding on. I mean, they did nothing on the offensive end. Absolutely nothing. They went into a shell themselves. It's like they, they got on the bus and went home. The game's over. They didn't come out in the second half. The only, they scored three points in the second half. That was only because you had a, a fumble deep in the Washington football end where they were already in field goals when they recovered it and didn't really move the ball much to even threat a touchdown. So the offense in the second half did absolutely nothing. You had Dak Prescott throwing a pick six when the game was basically on ice. The game was basically over. There was, what, five minutes left? Up by two scores. And Dak invites him on in. Come on down, boys. Get back in this game. Bad, bad pick six that you cannot have happen there. That only gave the Washington football team more fuel. The defense got a three and out following. And you had the football team with Kyle Allen, a quarterback, chance to tie the game. And by the way, Dallas got lucky. Kyle Allen threw a beautiful ball down the sideline that was dropped. It was dropped. That catch is made. Who knows? Maybe they're, they're marching their way in for, uh, for a touchdown. Because instead, too fair to the defense, they did make a final play. Randy Gregory saved the day after that drop, got a strip sack of Kyle Allen. Cowboys recover, able to run out the clock and get the win, get out of Landover, Maryland with the win. But with the way the Cowboys have played recently, even heading into this game, you can't feel great about how they played coming out of this game. And they have not played a full, complete game in a while now. Offensively, defensively, they have struggled to play complimentary football. When the offense is something like they were on Thanksgiving against the Raiders, the defense can't get a stop. When the defense is playing well, the offense is, is really struggling to put points on the board. This is a team that, after they beat the Patriots in New England in overtime, I put them in the Super Bowl contender category in the, in the NFC. I thought they were legitimate, real contenders. But now you look. This team doesn't really do anything to get you excited. This team's not a big threat in the NFC. Sunday Night Football, you had their, at least, analytics in terms of the odds of, of making the Super Bowl in the NFC. Cowboys had an 8% chance. Sounds about right. There are no threats whatsoever. And again, it goes back to this game. Because you're fired up about this win. If you feel like this is a, a, a good momentum-changing win for Dallas, look at the opponent. I get short. Technically, the, right now, the Washington football team is a playoff team. Right? They're the seventh and final spot uh, in the playoffs in the NFC. They're also six and seven. They're also not a very good team. Like they got hot, right? They were riding a four-game winning streak heading to this game. But this is also a team that's 
you know, not playing up to maybe the caliber that I thought. I thought they were going to win the division, to be honest. They have the talent to do so. They failed to live up to it. They lost their best player, Chase Young. Somehow the defense gets better, but the defense before that was a total sieve. Offensively, even though Taylor Heineke has been playing well, he really struggled yesterday. Anyway, by the way, for almost half of the second half, most of the second half, you had Kyle Allen playing quarterback, the third-string quarterback, playing for the football team, moving the ball down the field. So again, you're now barely beating a third-string quarterback. So for, for a team with Super Bowl aspirations, I would say you feel really honestly fired up about this game. Your head coach puts you, I thought, in a bad spot because, again, you guaranteed the win on Thursday. What does that really, you know, accomplish? You win the game okay, but I thought that set the team up for more bad than good, more harm than benefit. And now it's like, ah, yeah, that's a, that's a win that doesn't, that shouldn't really make you feel good because, again, it was 24 to nothing, and you had to sweat it out at the end. You needed a, a strip sack just to hold off Kyle Allen. Not a win that for the Cowboys, I, I would feel great about. And for the Browns, Kind of a similar story. This game in Cleveland was eerily similar to the game that we saw in Maryland. Because for the Browns, despite the fact that Baker Mayfield's feeling the healthiest he has felt since week two, the offense did not play well, especially in the second half. Like, this was the game going into it, I'll be honest. I thought this was Baker Mayfield's last stand to justify him being the starting quarterback. Now, as we know, he hurt that shoulder week two. The left shoulder, he has a torn labrum. But he's dealing with an ankle injury. He's dealing with a knee injury. He's dealing with a groin injury. Baker said multiple times here, this is the most banged up he's ever been in his career. So he's dealing with a lot of injuries right now. And I do think the injuries have played a big-time factor in his, in his performance and his play. I'm a Baker Mayfield fan. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. I think he's a franchise quarterback in Cleveland. I do. But this season specifically, with all the injuries, with how the injuries have affected his play, and despite the fact that the Browns are, are right there on the cusp of a playoff berth, if Baker did not play well, when he got the extra week of rest, when this is the healthiest he's going to be all year just because this is the only time to buy when you have an extra week to heal the body, to not take hits on Sunday. If he didn't play well, it was going to be Case Keenum time, to be honest. I thought the Browns should have shut Baker down, moved to Case Keenum, kind of get Baker already on the mend for 2022, but also give your team a chance to make the playoffs here in 2021 because the rest of the roster deserves that. In the first half, Baker was sharp. He was efficient. Through two touchdown passes. Again, they, the Browns built up a 24-3 lead. And the second half, they had to, you know, again, hold on for dear life because the offense, in part, didn't do anything. Shut out in the second half. So look at Baker's final stats. They look bad. 22-32, just 190 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. In a game where the running, you know, the run game was held in check, Nick Chubb didn't do anything crazy. Kareem Hunt was battling injuries, wasn't, you know, didn't step up or, or didn't have a crazy game. That's a game where you need your quarterback. Even though you're a run-first offense, you need your quarterback to step up and make plays. Baker didn't. Let's go for it as he did not. In that second half, again, as the game is slowly slipping away, as the Ravens are grabbing momentum with the back of quarterback, which we'll get to in a second, you need your quarterback to lead this team on a drive, any scoring drive. Even three points would have been, you know, sufficient. The one time they get close, they miss a field goal. But you needed points, any sort of points, 
to kind of put the Ravens out of their misery. End the game, take back the momentum. And Baker couldn't do that. He could not capitalize on a secondary that is extremely banged up, that is missing two of their best corners who are out for the year. The team you're very familiar with, considering the last game you played for Cleveland, was against this very Browns team that you, you lost to. So this is a game that, honestly, if Lamar Jackson doesn't get hurt in in the first quarter, Ravens probably win. Like, you had Tyler Huntley playing most of that game and was a few yards away from leading to victory. Like, you had the Ravens almost winning a road game with Tyler Huntley playing most of it. That's, I'm sorry, you can't, you, you, you can't feel good about that. Even though you move to 7-6, and six, even though you're on the fringe of the playoff race, you can't feel good about the offense going stagnant in the second half. Can't feel good about the run game not really, you know, getting established. Can't feel good about Baker Mayfield not taking advantage of a banged-up, beat-up Raven secondary. And again, when you're up 24-3 with a backup quarterback playing on the other side and you can't salt that game away, you can't really take control of that um, from the offensive side, from the defensive side, to where even though, sure, they get an onside kick that you want to call it fluky or not, you know, that, that play kind of goes up and down. But either way, the Ravens made the plays in the second half to get themselves back in the game. Tyler Huntley made a few nice throws. And they get the onside kick to where they are a field goal away from taking the lead and stealing the game. They had no business winning. So even though, again, Baker played decent, this is still a game where coming out of it, you still have to evaluate your quarterback position going forward. You're not going to bench Baker coming out of this game. But I don't think it's off the table. Like, I don't think Baker Mayfield now is guaranteed to be the start of the rest of the year. They're the eight seed. They're, eight, they're seven and six. You have one more bad game by Baker. I don't see how you, you could still justify playing him with all the injuries and how they've impacted his play. They're right there for the division race. They're right there for the wild card chase. They have still, you know, a path to even win the division, get a home playoff game. It's all right there in front of them. They got to do whatever they can do to make the playoffs, and that could be a quarterback change if needed because guess what? The offense could not bail you out yesterday to barely hold on to be the backup quarterback. Not feeling great about it. So I'm curious your thoughts. Cowboys. Mike McCarthy is guaranteed pays off, we'll say. We won't even say works. We'll say pays off. They beat the football team. Are you buying the Cowboys? Are they back in your mind as legitimate Super Bowl contenders in the NFC? Or are they just still out? And for the Browns, can Baker Mayfield lead this Browns team to the playoffs? Can he still be the quarterback to leave Cleveland this year? Tyler, the division title or to a wild card title? Love to hear your thoughts. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSR Run underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We'll get your thoughts when we do return here. Urban Meyer's tenure continues to get another head-scratching turn. I'll be honest, I'm very surprised by a lot of this, what's going down in Jacksonville. I'll tell you, though, my biggest surprise, the overarching theme so far of Urban's tenure. We do return here listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.
Oh yeah, we are vibing here on the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio, back on a Monday morning. We appreciate you making us a part of your Monday morning, starting your week here in the middle of December. Speaking of, actually not really speaking of anything, to be honest. I don't know why I started that transition like that. Tried to make a a smooth transition, and then I realized halfway through, what the hell am I going to compare? So we'll just, we'll make an awkward transition, go right from September, a great song, to what has been an awful situation in Jacksonville. That is led by Urban Meyer. More drama comes out of this weekend. Not only do they lose and look lifeless in offense to the Titans 20 to nothing yesterday, you had on Saturday a report from the NFL Network coming out detailing more strife, more frustration, more tension between Urban Meyer and his assistant coaches, Urban Meyer and his current players. There's a lot to kind of, you know, talk about here and, and a lot that's gone wrong, obviously, in the Urban Meyer tenure so far in Jacksonville. But I will say this. I'm very surprised by it, to be completely honest. I think the, the, the biggest part that's surprising for me is the fact that whatever story you hear, doesn't matter if it's, you know, with Urban Meyer against a player, Urban Meyer against an assistant coach, or, or some of the hirings he's made, or the way he's interacted with the media, the biggest surprise means that he feels very unprepared for this job. He feels like he doesn't know what he's doing. And that's at least someone you see the track record of success that he had in college. Coming out of retirement to take this, this opportunity, you figured he knew what he was getting himself into, but it's almost like he had no idea. This season has been an entire train wreck. And he's really, Urban Meyer's only added fuel to the fire. He has done nothing to help the franchise. He's done nothing to guide the franchise out of their being, their state of being that's been not very good for a very long time. He has failed to kind of bring them out of the gutter into the light. If anything, he's shoved them even deeper in the gutter. Now, I'll say this. I'll be honest here. I was wrong. I liked the hiring who was made last year. I did. When the Jaguars announced they are going Urban Meyer, I thought, you know what? There's a guy who I think w- w- a, a franchise in the position of the Jaguars, that's who they need. Because even though he only had experience in college, right? He was only a college coach for the duration of his career. His management style, his even coaching style, I thought, was very similar to that of an NFL head coach. Right? He's kind of like a CEO, even though he is you know, a special teams guy. And again, even though he's only been in college, there's not a lot of gimmicks. It's not a lot of rah-rah sort of, uh, of you know, stuff you get in college. Like, let's say Dabo Sweeney, who, you know, is more of an emotional leader, is more someone who will get his players fired up, but he's more of, you know, a guy who connects with college students, where his gimmicks work because the player's only there two or three years and they leave. So the same old tricks keep on working because it's new audiences all over, and he can connect to... Let's say 18 to 22-year-olds, but would fail to connect to 30-year-olds with a family, wife, and kids. So you look now, Urban Meyer, I thought his style would translate over because it, it was slimmer to an NFL coach. But since the very beginning, since he was hired almost a year ago in January, he has made, we'll call it, questionable decisions at best. We'll be very nice there. But he has been almost, you know, surprised when others have questioned him and others have called out his poor judgment. And that's where it feels like he's unprepared for the job, doesn't always get himself into. And there is obviously a litany, a litany 
of different um, examples we can point to. Hiring strength coach Chris Doyle, who was, he should have been fired, but technically he wasn't from Iowa after players accused him uh, of being racist. Hired him. That lasted all 48 hours before Chris Doyle was forced to resign. They Even in the draft, you look at player personnel. They had James Robinson, who ran for 1,000 yards as an undrafted receiver, uh, undrafted running back in 2020. Well, then they decide, okay, first-round pick. Let's take another running back, Travis Etienne. Mm, hasn't worked out. He was fined for violating OTA practice rules. Obviously, we know that viral video of him with that girl in the uh, Ohio bar that he left, you know, left the team after a Thursday night game, stayed in Ohio, did not fly back to the team, and then is partying and has social medias of him, uh, social media videos of him going viral for partying with females that aren't his wife. And now even the most recent report by Tom Palacero of NFL Network that came out on Saturday, where the the part of the story details that one of their solid receivers, Marvin Jones, had to be convinced to return to the facility in recent weeks because he was so frustrated and upset with Urban Meyer that he left. Apparently, according to the report, he called out his assistant coaches, called them losers, and challenged their resumes, which is weird and concerning considering that he's, he is the person who hired them. So you calling out your assistant coach's resumes, calling them out basically saying, what do you, what have you done to earn whatever job you've been hired for? That's more to Urban Meyer considering the fact that he hired them. If you're going to call them out, call yourself out. It's not like he adopted them and they were forced to be there. He willingly hired those assistants to work with them. And now he's calling the same people out that he hired. Like the boss, if your boss ever called you into work saying, what the hell have you done to earn this job? Let me see your resume. Let's go to this, this, and this. You were, you know, sales, sales associate your last job. Explain that to me. What are you talking about? You hired me. Explain yourself. If you're trying to call me out, how about I call you out for hiring me if you're trying to make my resume look so bad? It doesn't make any sense. So he's fighting with some of his best players. He's calling out his assistant coaches and basically having them it sounds like almost earn their jobs back by, by validating their resume and validating what they've done in the past. He benched James Robinson, the guy we told you who ran for 1,000 yards last year, and then still the Jaguars decided to draft a running back in the first run. Anyway, well, he's been playing to deal with a heel injury. He's fumbled the ball. He's been benched. But it's not only that he's been benched. Now he's having Trevor Lawrence basically tell him on the sideline, get James Robinson back on the field. We need James Robinson on the field. Now to be convinced by the rookie quarterback to put one of the best players on offense back on the field. And Trevor Lawrence take that publicly last week by saying in a press conference, we need James Robinson out there. It's basically inexcusable that he's not on the field. This offense is struggling. We need to have some of our best players on the field to make plays. So now you're driving away and alienating some of the best receivers. You're alienating your assistant coaches. Not, I won't say alienating the quarterback. I don't think Trevor Lawrence has exactly lost faith yet, but you're upsetting your quarterback by taking away one of his top weapons in a year where he is struggling, making it even harder for him to play because one of the best players is not on the field. And even to me, the most concerning part of the Tom Pelissero report here, or the, the most part that does have me concerned about um, Urban Meyer not really knowing what the job is entitled and not really knowing what he got himself into, is the fact that there's a report that even going back to the preseason, he was threatening his assistant coaches already two games into the preseason about how he's sick and tired of losing. He's tired of being embarrassed. 
and that if they don't turn around soon, that those assistant coaches would not be basically back in Jacksonville in 2022. Look, you can hold a high standard for you know you and your coaches, and it's not he's not the first one to threaten someone's job by performance. Every you know every hey you don't step it up you know we'll we'll start looking for someone else. Right? Every single player has heard that. Most most jobs where the boss tries to light a spark under you, they'll say something like that. Well, maybe we'll get someone else in here. The concerning part for me and the interesting part for me is more that it came in the preseason. Like that's where you work out the kinks. You've barely been on the job. You're worried and you're frustrated about losing two preseason games. But what if you won those games? You're going to be celebrating like this is you know oh we know what we're doing. It's easy to win. It's been a very tumultuous time so far for Urban Meyer in um, Jacksonville, but it's almost like he took the job and didn't realize how hard it is to win in the NFL. He didn't realize truly the difficulty going from college to the NFL. Because he's had infinite success in college. His career record, whether it's at Bowling Green, at Utah, at Florida, at Ohio State. He's 187-32. 187 and 32, 150 more wins than losses. It's unheard of. That's a dominant, dominant um, record. And again, it was over, you know, four schools. So he has shown he can win almost anywhere in college. And it sounds like, and it looks like he assumed he can win at the NFL level just as easily, just as quickly, like he did at Utah, Florida, and Ohio State. That's obviously not the case. But I thought, I was suckered in, I'll be honest, I thought he understood the assignment in Jacksonville. Obviously, this has been, for the most part of their existence, an irrelevant franchise. They're not very good. The fans there don't, you know, don't really show out. They're not, you know, there's not a, a feverish fan base in Jacksonville. There's always thoughts of them moving to London. They always have games away from Jacksonville, try to get, you know, more fans to the games. The goal for Urban Meyer, I think that's why he was hired by Shad Khan, the owner, was to bring Jacksonville back to relevance. Well, when you've had an organization irrelevant for almost the entirety of its existence, it's going to take more than just one offseason. It's going to take longer than just three or four months to turn it around from perennial loser to perennial winner. Now, I thought at least Urban Meyer understood that. Not saying that it's okay to accept losing. Not saying that, oh, he should be fine and shouldn't be upset with the losses that they've suffered week after week after week. But you also got to look where this team is. Like, look at the roster you're inheriting. This offensive line is awful. You're trying to break in a rookie quarterback. Sure, the defense has been really good this year. Offensively, they leave some, you know, the receiver position, they leave something to be desired. The, the tight end position is not very good. And again, Trevor Lawrence is getting zero time back there to throw the ball. Even just yesterday's game, watching the Titans game, every single time Trevor Lawrence steps back in the pocket, he's being under pressure. He threw four picks yesterday at career high. One was just an awful drop by LaVisca Chenault. And again, almost every time he's throwing the ball, he's being pressured. So, you know, there's a lot there going into the losses outside of just Trevor Lawrence playing bad. There's a lot there to turn around. And he looks like, you know, you look at Urban Meyer after the game, even yesterday, I tweeted, he looked like someone where the lights were on, but no one was home. You know, you ever get that feeling if you're, you know, if you're in a bar and one of your buddies or is too drunk or you see just someone else there and just, he looks like he's been overserved a little too much where, yeah, he's awake and he's there, but he's truly not there. The lights are on, but no one's home. 
That's what Urban Meyer looked like post-game yesterday. Like, he just saw a ghost. Like, he was shell-shocked that they lost 20 to nothing to the Titans. Which, look, the Titans right now are a team without Derrick Henry that aren't exactly world beaters. But again, look at the Jaguars roster. Look at their team. Like, I think two wins is kind of impressive. They're 2-11, but one of those against the Bills. And one of them right now is against the hottest team in the NFL in the Dolphins. Now, you make the argument those two wins are even, you know, more than maybe most people thought they would have. But he looks like someone who, you know, frankly, looks like someone who, who remember the last year, last year in Florida was getting so sick in the Southland, he had to retire. That's what he looks like. The losing is taking its toll. But it's also because the, the expectations aren't realistic. This team was not a playoff team this year. This team was not even a five-win team. But it sounds like Urban came with Super Bowl aspirations, and that's on him. That's absolutely on him. If he's already embarrassed by preseason losses, which, again, at one point you want to say, okay, fine. You like the competitive nature. You always want to win no matter what. You're not going to just throw away the preseason and just pretend like it means nothing. But at the same time, you got to realize this team is not good. This team is about, you know, growth and building. And how can we, and you know, take steps to make sure this team is better in week 18 than they were in week one? How can we make sure Trevor Lawrence at the end of the year looks better than he did at the beginning of the year? And how can we take steps towards growth in 2022 and beyond? It's not a quick rebuild. It's not like college football where you get in there, you get one recruiting class, you can turn around instantly. Like, Urban Meyer took a 7-6 Ohio State team to 12-0 and the first year he was there. 20, uh, 2011, they were 7-6 with Luke Fickle. 2012, he comes in 12-0. and That's not happening with the Jaguars. And it's like Urban Meyer didn't expect that, didn't know how much work it truly takes to turn an NFL team around. That's the most concerning part, at least for me. I thought he understood the assignment. I thought he was someone who knew kind of what he was doing, what he was getting himself into. That's why I was a believer. And it has gone anything but that way. So I still think he'll be back in 2022. I think that he will ride out the storm. I think Shad Khan will give him at least one more year to try to now, okay, now that he at least has you know his bearings and his feet under him, can you start to build a winner in 2022? I think he will be back. I'd be still surprised if he's fired. But I will say this is right now the least confident I've been in that. Just because of every single day you're hearing something new. Some other controversy that Urban Meyer is getting himself into. Some other fighting that he's having with, with his players and not communicating the right way or throwing his players under the bus or throwing his coaches under the bus. It has been one misstep after another in Jacksonville, and that is not what Urban Meyer was brought in to do. So I'm curious your thoughts. Should they bring him back? I think he will be back. Should they, though, bring Urban Meyer back next year? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter. WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. We'll get your thoughts here, and when we do return to close out the show, Bills and Josh Allen showed you their biggest flaw and why they are not Super Bowl contenders and why they're barely hanging on to a playoff spot. I'll tell you what that is when we do return here to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hey, 
And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, finishing up, wrapping it up on a Monday morning right here. Let's hit with, finish up, I should say, with the biggest story, at least I would say, from week 14. And that's the Buccaneers taking down the Bills, 33-27 overtime. A thriller of a game where the first half, I mean, thought the, the Bucs were going to run away with this game and, you know, drop a 40-50 spot on Buffalo and really send them all the way back up north uh, with their tail between their legs. Credit to the Bills. They did fight back here to send the game overtime before eventually losing. But I think Sunday showed you the biggest flaw with Buffalo. They're over-reliant on Josh Allen. They have only one way to win, and that is with the legs and the right arm of their quarterback. Their run game stinks. Their defense is fraudulent. And even though while you have a really solid franchise quarterback in Josh Allen, Super Bowl contenders, playoff contenders have other ways to win outside of their quarterback. And we always put so much, we love to always put so much attention, so much pressure, so much of the winning, so much of the losing on the quarterback. Either the quarterback plays well and they win, that's the reason why they win. The quarterback plays bad, that's the reason why they lose. It's never that simple. Like for all the attention, for all the, the speculation, the talk and the obsession that we have with finding the next elite quarterback, Getting that guy no matter what. It takes other areas to win. You need more than just an elite quarterback to win. Per example is last year. Deshaun Watson had a career year. Career year. Deshaun Watson's a top five quarterback in the NFL. He had the best year of his career. The Texans won four games last year. You had a franchise quarterback playing a tremendously um, great football. That led to four wins for the Texans. Shows you if you have nothing else outside of the quarterback, you can't win. And right now, the Bills have no other way to win when it's not surrounded by Josh Allen. Like, Sunday was a perfect example of this. Josh Allen was below average to just okay in the first half. Right? He was... He threw an interception. He wasn't very sharp. The ball, they didn't put the ball in the end zone. Anytime he had the ball in his hands, basically the offense was on him. Right, with a throw on the ball, he was the only player to run the ball. The Bills didn't attempt uh, rushing uh, or didn't have a rushing attempt with a running back for in the first half of the first time in 30 years. 30 years. First half, not a single running back carry. That all led to a 24-3 halftime deficit. Game was over. Now, to hit their credit, Josh Allen played a lot better in the second half. Right, He turns it on. They scored four times in the second half. They scored 24 points, able to tie the game at 27, heading to overtime. Josh Allen, though, did it all. Two touchdown passes, one touchdown run. His play alone, turning the game around, getting the Bills back into it, then helped fuel the defense. Then, all of a sudden, inspired Buffalo's defense to start getting a few stops. When Josh Allen was playing poorly, defense couldn't get any stops. When he was playing well, all of a sudden, the defense came back to life. But just like it's been all season long, when Josh Allen has needed to rely on, needed to get help from either the running game or the defense, he has been let down. Over time, the, the Bills' offense goes three and out. Okay. You need one stop after a tremendous punt to pin the Bucks back to their own six-yard line. One stop, get the ball back, and that should you know be enough to get a field goal to win the game. Instead, Tom Brady goes 94 yards, seven plays, Brashad Perryman, thank you very much. See you later. Game over. 
That's so been the Bills defense all season long. Unable to get the big stop at the big moment. And now the Bills go to 0-5 on the year in one-score games. You know why they can't win any close games? Because they are extremely one-dimensional. Josh Allen has to run the ball for them to have success. Josh Allen has to throw the ball to have you know success. The defense does not play well unless Josh Allen's playing well. And the defense, speaking of, part of the reason why they're 0-5 in one-score games, the worst in the NFL, is because the defense is the most fraudulent unit in the NFL. There is no team that's statistically impressive, but realistically more disappointing than the Buffalo Bills defense this season. The stats that they have are so deceiving. Number one in total defense. Number one in pass defense. 12th in rush defense. But the fact, though, is that they are not as dominant as the stats suggest. They have fattened up against the teams like the Jets, Dolphins, Steelers, Washington football team, Texans, Saints. They have feasted on those awful offenses to pad their stats, but anytime they have played a competent playoff-level offense, they have folded like a cheap, uh, cheap suit. Cheap tent, whatever one you whatever you want to use. They disappeared. Titans with Derrick Henry put up 34 points in a victory. Jonathan Taylor totaled over 200 yards and five touchdowns. Went through this defense like Swiss cheese. The Patriots told you what they were doing. The Patriots said we're only going to run the ball. They are for 222 yards. The Bills defense knew what was coming, couldn't stop it. And yesterday, Tom Brady. 363 passing yards. Leonard Fournette, 113 rushing yards. Bucks had their way on offense. Just like any team with a, a competent offense has done this year. The Bills defense are frauds. They cannot be relied upon to get a stop. And again, it only makes Josh Allen's job harder when it's on you to do everything. You got to score every possession. You got to run the ball yourself you got to throw the ball yourself because you can't rely on the run game to bail you out if you have a bad game. Or if the, if the defense is taking away the pass, daring you to run. Devin Singletary, Matt Breida, Zach Moss, you can't rely on those guys because they, you know, they haven't played well all year long. They've not taken over a game in a way that you need to if your quarterback has an off, off game. You cannot rely on the defense to get you a stop to lead the way when you're playing a good team. They can do so against the Jets. They can do so against the Washington football team or the Dolphins. They cannot do so against a playoff caliber offense. And that's concerning because guess what? Josh Allen is not playing a perfect game every single game. He hasn't. He's barely played, you know, one perfect game this year. He's taken a step back from 2020. He's not been the Josh Allen MVP that we have seen. Which, you know what? Fine. Like you're, it's, it's unrealistic if your only chance of winning is to rely on your franchise quarterback to play basically a career game every single week. It doesn't happen. Even the worst quarterbacks we have seen, or some of the best quarterbacks, I should say, this year we have seen, have had bad games. And it's, un, you, know, other, you know what good teams do? Good teams find ways to win when their quarterback has an off game. When Tom Brady... Isn't lighting up for 400 yards. Leonard Fournette can run for 150 yards and four touchdowns like he did against uh, the Colts a few weeks ago. The defense can get you a stop and limit a good offense to give your team a chance. Good teams find other ways to win 
outside of just one player. They have different multiple ways to win. That's why these, you know, teams like the Cardinals, teams like the Packers and the Rams and the Chiefs and the Patriots all are at the top of their respective divisions and conferences. They have multiple ways to win. The Bills do not. The Bills are the Josh Allen show. If Josh Allen plays well, they win. And really forget, well, they need Josh Allen to play exceptional to elite to win. And if not, they lose. Josh Allen himself totaled over 400 yards and four touchdowns yesterday. Or three touchdowns, I should say, yesterday. And the Bills lost. They lost because they couldn't establish the run. They couldn't stop anyone on defense. That's not a Super Bowl caliber team. It's a guarantee Josh Allen's not going to play perfect in every single playoff game. No one does. Can you rely on your defense to get a stop when you need? Can you rely on the run game with four minutes left to run the ball down the team's throat, take the pressure off the, uh, you know, the quarterback, and give the defenses something else to worry about? They have not done that. Bills are in trouble. Bills are in serious, serious trouble because they are extremely one-dimensional. It's Josh Allen and only Josh Allen. That is not sustainable to winning. That's why, for me, they are nowhere close to a Super Bowl contender. That's why they're barely a playoff team. I will still pick them to make the playoffs because I still think they're, they're better and the schedule's more favorable for them down the stretch. Um, but with that said, I mean, they need, to, they need some serious help when it comes to doing any damage in the playoffs. The goal now for Buffalo this year, right, is Super Bowl. You got to the AFC title game last year. Just making the playoffs is not good enough. The expectations have changed. You paid Josh Allen now the big deal. Making the playoffs is no longer the goal. Winning a playoff game is no longer the goal. The bar for success for Buffalo going forward is making the Super Bowl. We won't say winning. We'll say making the big game. Taking that next step. You got to the AFC title game. You won two playoff games. Now, okay, how can you get there? How can you get over the Chiefs or the Patriots or the, the Ravens, whoever's standing in your way? and get to the Super Bowl. They have not done so yet. That is the goal, and they are not achieving that goal this year. In part because the defense can't get the stops and they can't run the ball. They are reliant only on their quarterback, which is not how any true Super Bowl contending teams win. Sorry, I'm out on the Bills. Out, out, out on Buffalo. So that'll do for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. We appreciate you coming back. I'm sorry for the week off. It is good to be back with you. We'll be back in our normal Monday, Thursday slot, as always, going forward. So make sure to like us on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network. Follow us on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Like us on YouTube at Worldwide Sports Network. Make sure to follow the show handle at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. We will be back on Thursday. Hickey's Pickies will be back. Get you set for a big, big week 15 slate of NFL games. So as always... We appreciate you making us a part of your Monday. Have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, please. Stay sane. And always, we'll talk to you on Thursday right here. Where else? The Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.